Uh, can we start from the top? You want to start from the top? Please. Sure. I can totally do that. I am going to have to do the Hey Everyone Ever bit, because that's it how the show starts. gets better and better every time. I don't know if it gets better. It, it does. It happens every time. That part of the sentence is true. Okay. Now I'm really self-conscious. It's still just me. There's no, no audience has filed in. No, but I've got a lot of people here. Oh, <laughs> they're all just, they're all just waiting for the fun. I to heard start. sirens outside your house earlier. Is everything okay? That was security because of the crowd. <laughs> I understand. Is everybody ready for a little fun? I said, and like two guys are like, eh. So, <laughs> and it's packed. So for two guys, wow, saying, two guys said, eh. Hey everyone ever, and welcome to 20th Century Popcast, the show where we try to understand the present while living in the past. My name is Tim Blevins. Uh, my co-host Bob is not here, uh, but in his place I have a special guest, someone who I'm happy is here, and someone who I should probably get right to introducing before I go back to this lengthy page of notes that made this such a hard show to start in the first place. Um, today, uh, yeah, why don't you introduce yourself, because I fucked it up again. <laughs> Fucked it up again, but we're going to use it. We're going to use it. We're going to go with it? I think so, because I don't want to fuck it up again. Because of the expl- we have an explicit warning on the show, so it's okay that we fucked it up. Otherwise, who would have blinked it up? And that's very different. This is the, that is the best intro I've ever had. I think so. I know it doesn't mention your name at all, and it doesn't do you any favors to follow it up, but it, it was solid. There was a lot, of, a lot of work in blue in that, I think. Um, hi, everybody. My name is Chris Nicini, longtime uh, friend and former roommate of both Tim and Bob. That's right. Star Wars uh, fan, fanatic. Um, I don't know what else I could tell you about myself that would be relevant to this podcast. Well, fortunately, this episode is about uh, Star Wars, so that part is pretty relevant. Um, and one of the reasons you're on, we're going to be talking a little bit about Star Wars toys today, which isn't something... That's come up that much on the show, which is odd because I think one of the most formative aspects of my childhood is probably playing with Star Wars toys, seeing Star Wars movies, and kind of just living and breathing Star Wars. What, Chris, do you remember when you were introduced to Star Wars, like what the first angle or aspect of Star Wars you experienced was? The first one I can remember is my parents bought a Super 8 um, projector and camera back in 74. Five or six. And in 70, no, it must have been 77 because when they bought the projector, you could, they could select one free movie to get with it. And it was an eight minute reel of Star Wars and it had two scenes on it. It had Ben, uh, Ben's hut on Tatooine and it had the escape the Death Star with a Falcon leaves and there's the four TIE fighters chasing it. And those two were edited together. And I had that. I didn't see the movie when it first came out. I was too young, but I watched that for two years over and over. And that was my introduction to Star Wars. Was it the audio and everything or for some reason? Audio, the... color. Yeah. So it was just like watching it. How did you show it? Just like on the wall? You the projected it on the wall and it wasn't widescreen. Like obviously the, the film was, it was pan, uh, you know, just a square, but it just was my seeing uh, a glimpse of Darth Vader as he's trying to walk into the docking bay. You saw R2-D2 and I, that was... Uh, a glimpse of C-3PO, it ended with him uh, kind of in all the wires on the Falcon floor <laughs> saying, help, I think I'm melting. And that just, uh, boy, just really burned itself into my brain. So I just wanted, by the time I saw the movie, it was so built up. To, and I'm sure I, soon after that, I got the storybook and maybe some trading cards. 
But so, so do you, did your parents get it specifically for you? I mean, were they fans of it too? No, or were they, they getting it for you? They they hadn't seen it either. Just heard it was a good movie. Um, and it was probably just a spot of the moment pick. I don't know if a lot of thought went into it and they thought it was okay for kids, at least eight minutes of it. Now, is that something you've come across? Like, you collect a lot of Star Wars memorabilia, toys, some from childhood, some you're collecting later. Have you ever come across this film again? Like what the packaging or anything like that looked like for it? I still have it. <laughs> I still have the same reel. So oh, you do? Yeah, it showed Han and Chewie, one of the famous kind of promo photos of the two of them firing in front of the Millennium Falcon on the cover. Huh. And um, it was just a, a gray reel of, of film. There was, wasn't that much to it. And uh, over the, it, I still have it, but over the years, it's been pretty beat up and spliced and re-spliced and probably but a little faded. It, you've watched it since. Yeah, I've, I watched it not too long ago, and I'm just remembering maybe 20 years ago, which it, <laughs> it had already been 20 years old at that point. Um, I spliced on, Kenner had little, like, they weren't Viewmasters, but you'd put it up to your eye and you'd crank it and kind of watch a film. Do you remember well, that's that? That's what I was thinking of. They didn't have sound, right? They were like right. a cartridge you put in. They didn't have sound, so uh, Joe and I, our friend Joe, we we took the film out of that and edited it into that Super 8 film I had so we could watch more of it sequentially, and we projected it, and I emptied two cartridges that way, and we made maybe a, I don't know, a 14-minute version of the movie you could project. It's odd to me that it, at some point it makes sense. Star Wars has to be brought to you. Like my earliest memory, my parents brought home and again, it must have been end of 77 or beginning of 78. So I was three, two or three. They bought home a die-cast um, X-Wing fighter. There was a whole line of those, I think, of all the vehicles. This is right, happened to be yeah. the X-Wing fighter. They brought it home. And I don't think I knew. I couldn't have known what Star Wars was yet because I think I pretended it was um, – there used to be a cartoon called Battle of the Planets. Do you remember right, that show? Yes. Which I think this must have been at, a year after Star Wars because that cartoon was in response to it. It was taken a show taken in from um, Japan and recut a little bit with a little robot and spaceships. But there, there's this fiery looking spaceship on that show that becomes like this burning phoenix when it flies. I remember playing with the X-wing fighter at three, I guess, and pretending it was that ship. So this concept of Star Wars hadn't eked into my head yet. And then I think after that, I got like a Play-Doh set. I vaguely remember like this plastic mat of what looked like maybe the inside of the sand crawler, maybe just a factory or these molds where you can make like a 3PO and an R2. Does that sound like a familiar Yeah, toy? I would say it could have been even the Yavin hanger. Was that the backdrop? I forget. See, I don't even remember because I wouldn't have had a point of reference. It must be like you're saying, then I got a storybook and then I got other aspects to fill in the blanks because 1980, when I was four, my dad took my brother and myself to see Empire Strikes Back. So I was excited enough to go, but I think we were more going because my brother was into. Oh, the so movie. you didn't see the re-release of Star Wars in '79 before no, I seeing Empire? I saw Empire first. I knew the Star Wars story, and I must have known it from a record. I think we had the book and record. I saw the re-release of Star Wars in '82, maybe. Yeah, it came. It, it was re-released four or five times. Yeah. I think it was '80 along with Empire, '81, maybe even '82. So yeah, it was. It was before I saw Jedi, but Empire was the first one I saw, and I have very vague memories of that. But I was excited enough, and we must have had a couple toys, because. but it was that Christmas, the Christmas of 1980, uh, when I remember one of the gifts my brother and I got was this box. We each got this wrapped box, like a shirt box size. Mm-hmm. We opened it up, you know, unwrapped it, opened it up, and there was just figures, packages of the action figures just laid out in the box. Okay, right. So it was like, you know, we got Luke, we got Obi-Wan, we got C-3PO, never had an R2. 
uh, had Leia. I think it was mostly the Star Wars figures, but there must have been some Empire figures in there too. We also got these remote control land speeders. And from that point, Star Wars became something for me because I had these toys to play with. And again, I knew the story. I don't remember the first time I was introduced to the story, but I knew enough of it. Plus, everybody was probably talking about it. I'm sure other... I don't know how we, how many other kids you interacted. Is that even preschool age? It would have been by, by Empire Strikes Back. It would have been preschool oh, yeah, age because sure. yeah. I'm going in the first grade in 81. Yeah. And, but that's the thing. Every kid was into this. But my experience with Star Wars, yes, I saw it in the theater, but I just saw, you know, I saw Empire once. Most of my experience, because really the one I really remember seeing is Return of the Jedi. And that's a different experience to talk about. But most of my experience with Star Wars, my living and breathing Star Wars and getting to know these characters came from a couple storybooks, but mainly the toys, like just playing with these toys and somehow learning the personalities and, and figuring that out and creating these scenes is what built, I don't know, built my love of Star Wars. Like you, I know you collect a lot of the toys, but as a kid getting the toys, were you playing with them? Was it, did you Oh create- yeah, I was definitely playing with them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so they weren't these fragile little no, sculptures. No, no, no. But I, th- there was also a display element. I always had them on display too. But I, um, yeah, I can remember getting them really early on, maybe even before I saw the movie. I saw it in 79. So You did? Okay. Yeah, I did see it for Empire. And then when Empire came out, I, I, I feel like I remember it. I remember it just being dark. You know, there's so much the ice planet and the, and the swamp in Dagobah and I don't know, it really seemed to have an impact on me. I remember walking out of there like a little spooked and I remember Yoda scared the hell out of me the way really? he the way he kind of appeared his first appearance there of jumping out at Luke. Did you know what he was or he was in the movie before seeing it? I don't know. No, I don't know how much it made sense to me. And I don't know if that Empire storybook came out before after the movie. Mm-hmm. So I, I know they kind of kept his image uh, under wraps until the movie came out. So he might have been a surprise. So at that, that, that point, they were – it wasn't called spoilers, obviously, but this idea of keeping things – like I'm sure with the original Star Wars, stuff wasn't kept secret. I mean, they were promoting it. It was just yeah, a movie although, to them. Like the action figure packages for the Ewok figures, they're the early – when. Before they came out, they blacked out what they were going to look like. Well, and- by that, yeah, no, that's true. And I think by Jedi, there was a lot of – tricks to keep things secret but and i guess in empire the big reveal of vader is looks for spoilers for actually an empire em- Back. the empire storybook does not have a photo of the adat walkers because they wanted to keep those a surprise also really I, i'm almost I feel like sure. it's such an iconic i know they're I, I in know. the record book because i remember they were called walkers they were just called walkers in it and they were huge whatever they described them they were such a big part of the promotion but I mean, as a five-year-old, we, I wasn't aware of promotion. I don't remember seeing commercials for Empire Strikes Back on TV. I don't remember ads for it. So I don't think anything would have been spoiled for me until I was old enough at Jedi to be looking for this stuff. Right. But you're, it is true with the toys. I do remember the back of the packages. They would show all the figures, and the, all the Ewoks were kind of blacked out. Right. Because there was two. There was Chief Chirpa and Logre, I think, were the first two Ewoks for Jedi. So they were hiding stuff. And I guess the toys could reveal stuff. Right. But I don't know. I don't think I, when I played with the toys, I don't think I was necessarily acting out the movies. I wasn't acting out the story of the movie. It must have been the world of the movie in my mind. But like with any toy, we have a couch. So they're on a swamp planet because they can sink into the <laughs> right. cushions. Or we yeah. have the red carpet. So this must be a precursor to Mustafar. I'm sure I was not thinking at five. But, <laughs> but I do remember playing these adventures with them. And I do remember creating these stories. And I guess as I got older, and I can't trace this because I'm looking back now with this collector's mentality, I must have eventually assigned 
which is fine, by the way, because I love the world, but assigned the 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 rules of the world to these toys and somehow create like do you remember were you acting out scenes from the movies were you giving them their own adventures were you yeah i kind of within the world of the movie i was it wasn't i didn't get too far out like c3po goes to a disco it was all happening in the star wars <laughs> world like on tatooine you know maybe they escaped the jawas or something like that but uh I can't remember exactly how, how I would utilize them. Were you seeking out specific figures or was it just whatever you could get was what you got? Whatever you were given was what you got? Uh, I, I can rem- My only memory of that is when IG-88 came out. I remember my mother was going out for the night. She was going to the mall. And I said, there's any way you could find this character. And I went to bed and I woke up in the morning with IG-8 over my head on my <laughs> pillow. So I do... I guess I was asking for certain figures, but then Christmas or my birthday would come and you'd get this, but you know, like you got a big box of like nine character figures in a row. Yeah. And I, 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 but I wonder like, and I can't quite remember, like I remember getting the slave one big for the figures yeah. size toy and also getting, which I still have this diecast slave one. So yeah. I had these Boba Fett vehicles years later, you know, like, like everyone else, Boba Fett's my favorite. I'm happy to have them, but I don't know if I was asking for that. Like, I don't know, with the exception of Wicket, because I loved the fucking Ewoks. So when Jedi came out, that was the figure I wanted. Right. Well, did you even know, like, uh, the diecast slave one was available to, to even want? You know, I don't know how aware we were of these that's things. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think I was at this point. I was kind of getting what, what I was given. I liked everything I got. And for the most part, my parents, my grandmother, friends who were buying it for me, because I didn't have a job at six or seven, obviously, <laughs> They knew better than to get me Twin Pod Cloud Car Pilot or Best Friend Gantry Guard. You know, I think we had Death Star Commander, but mostly they would get the fun looking ones, the aliens, the droids. Right. And of course, the heroes. Like I had, you know, we had the original Han Solo, we had Chewbacca, we had Luke and Leia. But I don't remember necessarily picking and choosing. Like, I'm sure I had favorite toys. Like, what was, what was like some of your, do you remember like what your favorite? of the action figures was, for example. Oh, uh, I always liked the Jawas, Land of the Jawas. I did get the remote control Sandcrawler, which is- You did. Yeah, that I endlessly played with. Um, anything droid related, uh, the Cantina. I remember leaving that outside one night and it rained and the cardboard backdrop got <sighs> destroyed. Um, I love that toy. Yeah, that made that, for some reason, that was an important place. But what about the, what was it about the Jawas that was like fascinating? Because those are smaller figures. I guess they had the cloth cape. Maybe I, there's that something was... so mysterious with me. When I, I think when I finally did see the movie, I was just so enamored with them. I don't know why. Just the, maybe it's their obsession with collecting things that has echoed well, through my life that I liked. Well, that's interesting with these toys. Because like, again, getting Star, like Star Wars was everywhere for me. I don't think I would have thought I was a collector, but if I was going to get toothpaste, I was going to get Star Wars toothpaste. If I was going to get a Bolton board, it was a Darth Vader Bolton board that I would have. Like they were the, you know, we had a C-3PO light switch and we had a Luke Skywalker spoon. I mean, we had Star Wars in everything that I was existing in life, but it wasn't, I didn't feel like a collector. Like I wasn't necessarily setting stuff up yet. They were just in a box or they were in that big Darth Vader had carrying case and I play with them, but you were saying you were setting them up. You were oh, creating yeah. little scenes. Yeah, definitely. Or curating. I mean, I remember my that's father a even different. built me like a, a, he got plaster and made like a, a Hoth, like a, pla- a base of all plaster and mountains and a cave and everything and made like a little Hoth playset for me before I think I even had a Hoth playset, which uh, I remember blew me away. 
And it was fun though, right? It didn't have to be the Kennerbot place that you were fine oh, with no, this great, built yeah. thing. Even with GI Joe, I remember I built my own like a uh, hero's base for them just with pine and plywood, which looked ridiculous, oh. but it had little rooms. <laughs> and in my head, it, it was, I'm like, wow, this is better than any toy. I can kind of customize it and do all everything I want to. I wish I had that because I mean, I'm saying I wasn't a collector, but also I wasn't about to settle for some cardboard Bespin tube. That was supposed to be like, I had like a Hoth playset so my adventures could take place on Hoth. And I had the land of the Jawa so it could take place on the desert. And those were just cheap little plastic bases. You know, I would take the cardboard backing out and it would just be this plastic base. But that to me was, I'll play on that oh, now. Right. Oh, I, I, always the Death Star, I'd take like a bookshelf and I would, that would be all the different levels of a Death Star and they would hop from level to level. And that's because I never had the Death Star playset. So you did, I didn't have that. Like with toys, I very much enjoyed playing with them, but I guess the, again, I was saying before, the environment of, of the couch would be the environment. So I guess I had that a little bit. Yeah, I'm sure. But boy, I, if since we had the Cantina playset, all of our adventures took place at the Cantina. Like those little plastic base, you know, plastic world, you know, this is your environment with the without the walls, but it, you know, it goes to the, the end of the toy. That was so important to me for some reason. Right. They had the little pegs so that you could have them, we're going to have them talk here and this is where they stand. Like, it seems very, that all seems aimed more towards collectability, posing or curating an appearance and less so about playing. And that's the thing, when I really stopped to think about these toys, I don't remember the adventures that I played. Like, I don't remember exactly what to play scenes were like a little bit with my brother when he and I would play together because he was always Han Solo so he'd make all these jokes and I thought they were hilarious I remember those <laughs> adventures but I don't remember much of because I constantly wanted more toys but now that I think about it, I'm like what was I doing with them yeah I don't remember the Star Wars ones too well I, I do remember G.I. Joe and Transformers because I was older or even mm -hmm. He-Man I can remember what I was doing there a little bit more but I, I kind of stopped once they came along I still collected Star Wars, but didn't play it like I used to. So what's the difference there? Like, were you aware of that in terms of suddenly? I just still love the world and the movies, and I was definitely a fan of it. And I love the magazines and the books. And um, so I would still buy the, the, the stuff, and it became more of a collectible thing pretty quickly. While new toys were still coming out? Well, yeah, I would say by the late Jedi, certainly by... By the time the 1985, um, is it Power of the Force figures with the coins came out? I think that was the last series, I, yeah. I wasn't playing with them, but I was I was definitely collecting them. Mm -hmm. um, but where I was still playing with Transformers or, or G.I. Joe. I feel like I played with them straight through. Like Star Wars, it is weird when I think about it because the amount of time that I play with those toys is actually rather small compared to something like a Transformers line, which I stuck with for a very, for probably a longer time. Cause if I was starting in 1980 playing with these toys straight through Jedi, like the toy line was still strong with Jedi, right? That might've been oh, one yeah, of the biggest huge. years. 84, I must've been playing with them. I, by 85, the toys I think were dying off a little. Cause that's, yeah, that's why that series of uh, power of the force figures is worth so much. Cause people stopped buying there weren't as many of them in collectors uh, uh, in kids hands but do you have some of those like did you yeah continue? you know i didn't buy them all at the time i bought they were really cool they were probably the best sculpted figures there were like what a were some of the ones in that okay man, a man, man man imperial gunner the, the beetle helmet um uh han and carbonite and up until then all you had him was from slave one that's right i do remember that figure because it was oh, melted i think or the, ev99 the 
Um, there were two Ewoks, Rumba and Warrock, General Calrissian, and that that Luke. Okay, I uh, remember that. Stormtrooper Luke. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were so they were reaching back too at that point. They yeah, were, there wasn't right. just Jedi yeah. figures. I just I, eighty five is when I'm starting to think like that's when stuff started getting discounted. Yeah. Like with toys, like I was always getting toys, but when it got to a point where maybe like I was getting an allowance, so it was to teach me to save in the shop, or maybe if I was at the mall and someone was like, well, you can get something, you know, get yourself something. KB Toy Stores is the toy store I remember. I mean, Toys R Us was exciting, but it took a lot to get to Toys R Us. KB Mm -hmm. Toys was a store we could get to pretty easily. And all of a sudden, Star Wars stuff was getting marked down. Like, I remember the price tag had the red slash, and it would be a cheaper thing. And that's when I started discovering other toys, like the action figures themselves. I guess I was fading out of. Like, I don't think I got many action figures once G.I. Joe and Transformers hit. But this other stuff, like um, the, the, the what we were going to talk about originally, and it's okay if we don't jump into it, but like the, the micro world, there was this series of toys that were these die cast figurines mm-hmm. that had like plastic bases and they're set up to look like Hoth or like Bespin or the Death Star. Right. And they were like very much aimed at collectors. Cause it's like, here's your scene. Here's your figures in a pose, really cool action poses. Some taken right out of the movie. Like I remember the Han Solo on Hoth crouched down with his gun, the Darth Vader, when he's telling Luke, he is his father. Like he's a amazing. pointing. There was a lot of pointing in this. Yes. Series. There was troops laying down on the ground, shooting out. There was a snowtrooper getting shot, holding his chest and leaning backwards. I don't remember that. That's very gruesome for a child's toy. <laughs> they but, were well done. I mean, because up until then, all you had was the action figure poses. And uh, to see the characters and represented in some way with, in, in different kind of more realistic poses was pretty cool. And that series of toys, because, yeah, they were very small figurines, almost like Monopoly pieces, maybe maybe yes. a little bigger. I have some in front of me. Not that I, that helps you. <laughs> or the listener, but hopefully you don't swallow anything. But good luck. I just, that, as we lose the Chewbacca with his arms in the air down your throat, <laughs> that line kept me buying Star Wars toys, I think, because they were marked down, too. But that, I dove into that line. And I hadn't got, I think I'd gotten a couple of the Hoth ones, actually. I do remember getting the Wampa Cave which was pretty cool. It was just, just, again, this cheap plastic cape, but it looked nice. It was carved like ice. It came with a cool probot. Yeah, it came with a probot, came with Han, Chewie, Luke, and the Wampa. So I got that, and I got this very cool dual turret set. looked like one of the trenches with the turrets and those rebel figures there. And had had the generator, too, on it. I think that was this different set. That was the one that had the walker, the ATST. Oh, was that okay? And the trench and the generator and the walk. You're right. Yeah, and I think they all connected. So I had a couple of those, but I remember finding the Bespin set and really loving that. And they were cheap. They were on sale, so I had the money to buy them. They're like half off. So the Bespin it had like a, a plastic carbonite chamber with all these stairs and ramps and a little mechanism where you could drop Han in and pull him back out in a carbonite block. It was two different. I figures, have it here. You but... want to hear it? Ready and. There's Carbonite Han Solo. Wow, I really hope Ta-da. that got picked up. <laughs> but it was fun. And that's the most motion you're going to get because everything else is posed. But I loved those toys. And that kept me with Star Wars because, again, by this point, I was probably packing up the action figures, putting the Slave One aside and just focusing on new toys. But that kept my interest. And I feel like 
that toy line didn't do well. No. The minifigures didn't do well. And there's all these other ideas they had that, like, had that made it to Jedi, there would have been a Jabba the Hutt set. There would have been an Imperial Throne Room set. There's probably would have been all this other cool stuff. They were going to do an, a, uh, an Imperial Throne Room, and it was going to attach to what you already had for the Death Star. They were going to do Jabba's Torture Chamber, the droid torture chamber i believe so and they're also going to do a, uh the rebel medical room too with the back to tank and then they had some designs for dagobah that i've seen and right. they had some um i think uh, uh endor i think there were some endor sets too it's odd to me that that didn't last though it didn't make it yeah maybe it just long. wasn't a there wasn't i don't know the collect the hardcore collectible mark maybe it should have been marketed more to, to adults really well, i feel like that kids is- that might be the birth of that. That's the thing. Like when I look at those things, even because again, I was 10, I guess when I was getting them, finally I had the Hoth ones, but when I went after the Bespin ones and sought them out, there is a change with that. It's almost like it was teaching me something. Cause like you were already setting your figures up in dioramas, which is ultimately as I got older and shifted out, like I still collect toys a little bit, but I, I didn't really give that up until I never really, but I just, I was still buying toys into high school, but I do remember the transition of from playing to posing. I remember this day where I took out this big metal canister of all my G.I. Joe stuff and I dumped it out and I was setting them all up because they're very posable figures. And I had the dreadnoughts like dismantling one of the vehicles and I had these characters all poised with their guns and other characters there. And I, I spent like an hour setting them all up and I sat there in the middle of them and I looked around and I kind of sighed. I was <laughs> like, well, I guess that's it. And I left the room. I left them all set up, but I left the room because the playability, the storytelling seemed less interesting to me, but the posing the display of it was fascinating. And that's what these little metal figurines were, which I understand, I guess, why that's not interesting to a younger kid who wants to move their stiff-armed figures into the vehicles and stuff. But I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I wonder, when I think about the collector mentality of toys, is that where some of this stems from? Because these are things that were be- that were built to be displayed. I don't think, I don't think of, I mean, I do now because they're worth money because the name Star Wars is on them, but that first line of Star Wars toys, the first line of figures, do you think of those as particularly well-made figures? I mean, they're iconic from their, because they're from our childhood, but given what figures can be, are they that memorable to you? Well, I think in context of the time there, they were, um, yeah, they, they were a big deal. They were pretty well sculpted for 19, late 77, 78. Were they even with, their, they're smaller, which is cool, but like G.I. Joe dolls were pretty well sculpted dolls. Well, but they had the advantage of being 12 inches high, not um, three, three and a half to four inches. So you could get more detail. I don't know. I, I, I still, um, I don't know. I think they were pretty well done for the time. Yeah, of course it got a lot better. But um, for the micro machines, I don't even remember. I have, I think I have just about all. I think I'm missing one of the two Death Star sets. But did you have you had one? Those I never saw those. In the yeah, I have they were a one. mystery to me. I would love to have seen. Yeah, those. they're really they're all really well detailed. They all have a lot more. Even just even the uh, the Bespin one you were talking about more than just the carbonite thing. They have ramps that move and stairs that move, and there's a little elevator for when Luke emerges. Yeah, I love those. I mean, it's weird too because they have the two pieces that. You could attach, yeah. Into like where the weather vane is and the window bus. And to look at them, they should just be, that middle piece should be a piece of crap. (laughs) Right. It's like, because it doesn't have, it doesn't, it's a middle piece. It doesn't have a beginning or end. It's got a little window that busts open. But I loved that toy. It was so detailed. And because of the poses of the figures, 
It just looked like a scene from the movie. Yeah, they were really well done. But you can't play with that. That's the thing. Like you can pose it. But I that, think I got a lot of mine after of the years later going to Salvation Armies or secondhand shops. You, you weren't getting them at the time. Though. I don't, maybe one set, maybe again, the Wampa set. I feel like I got that probably because it's just the characters in it, but I don't, the rest of them, I think I got later. It didn't sell well at all. And that's why it kind of came to a quick end. They dumped a ton of money into it and then it didn't really take off. I think that line was ahead of its time, maybe, or collectors... Maybe maybe toy collectors are specifically Star Wars age and up. Maybe they hadn't grown into it because in 1992, 94, with the Star Wars resurgence, Micro Machines did a very similar line of toys. And that was pretty popular, wasn't it? Was it was very popular, I feel like. I mean, I guess they were a little smaller. It was A lot of it was based on the vehicles, but there were still the figures and there's still the bases. And that line did very well because, again, they're they're – they're made to be put on a shelf. They're made because they're whole scenes, they're dioramas. They're they're designed not to be played with, I don't think, but just kind of to be shown. And again, maybe it's my age when those came out, but they 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 were like little sculptures or little Franklin Mint collectibles, mm-hmm, you know, that you right. put up and display, like a manger or some shit like that. And I just there's I don't know, like why do you think the micro machine line did so well? If, the f- fans were older and just they weren't playing with anything. They just wanted something to put on their shelf. Mm-hmm. Came along at the right time. But I don't think they were half done half as well as the original line as far as detail. No, and, that's what uh, I'm saying. I don't material I, wise. I think it was a far more superior line in the eighties that maybe just it's a shame that it didn't catch on, really. Like I and again, I I didn't get to it until it took making like I again I had the Hoth one, but I had to make the distinction of I'm out of Star Wars now. Oh, these seem cool. Like, again, it's only a year probably right. at that point from 84 to 85. Yeah. But I remember thinking like, oh, Star Wars, I remember this from last year. Um, and getting those little sets was almost like at that age, it was almost like, oh, I remember kind of thing, which is weird because no, no time had passed, but it felt that way already. Right. Because in a way, even two years or three years after it failed, it was like this lost piece that I was discovering because none of my friends had it. None of my other friends had these little pieces. So the only ones I ever played with were the ones I had, which is rare for a Star Wars toy line because everybody always had that shit. Not rare for some of the lesser known lines like Sectars or Roboforce. <laughs> or Stariors or Mangalores, these things that, again, I think I would seek out when they got price slashed, right. find them and love them because just like Star Wars toys, they're well-made and rich history, but because no one else had them, I never experienced them. So I just had this limit of, of they were mine. And I become this collector because if you know you talk with people about toys, you're like, do you know what sectors are? No, I don't. You can show them because you have them kind of thing. These micro worlds felt like that as well. And because I could seek them out, because I'd go to KB Toys and I'd be like, well, this is the normal toys, but these are the old toys. I think I'll grab them. I think it was starting to get into my head that you can collect these things, these things. You put them on your shelves, you pick and choose, and you have something that somebody else doesn't have. I think that was there. I think about 85, 86, maybe even to 87, there was a lot of residual toys around, especially KB, Toys R Us. Yeah. And I definitely started picking it up cheaply just kind of i started started hoarding hoarding it really the star wars stuff. yeah not even i don't even know how much of it i displayed i just thought um and it's a good thing i did but i just thought i'll just buy as much of this as i could now what prompts that thought though because again you're 10 you're 10 and the other old. thing is being known as the star wars kid in your family your family's still not knowing <laughs> what to get you but somebody bought me in 80 
85 or 86, a, a, a box of probably 20 to 25 carded figures from Jedi and maybe a few from Empire thrown in there. And um, I was certainly out of playing with them. I didn't even want to, I had no desire to even open them. I'd already had them all open. So I just saved these 25 figures on the card. And it just, that's because I started, I had that and I started buying a few slashed items off the shelf. That's when I turned into a collector. It was almost because, well, I have all this stuff. I might as well keep going with it. I enjoy it. Was there joy in not opening one though? Like getting, or was it like, I'll just file these away because what do you do with it? Yeah, a little bit, but maybe even in my head, there was already this notion of people like, oh, it's going to be worth something. You should hold on to that. I don't know what if I put much stock into that, but I, I still liked owning it, even if I wasn't playing with it or displaying it. Maybe I just thought, oh, having 25 figures on the card is kind of cool. It looks like it's a store or something. Well, there's that. Like, I get that. Like, did you like the packaging? Were you fast? Did you keep the packaging of the stuff you opened? I mean, psychologically, I guess it had an effect on me, but I don't remember thinking, I love this packaging. I I guess I saved some of it. I, a lot of it, I would cut out the uh, some specific images off the boxes and I'd put it into a scrapbook or make a little display. Well, it's odd to me that you had a moment because- I always remembered for a birthday party, my brother got Dengar and we already had Dengar. <laughs> so we didn't open Dengar, but we didn't have the receipts. It's three bucks or whatever. We didn't bring it back. So for your, what I thought was years, probably just for two years, Dengar sat in the bottom shelf of my brother's desk with books and papers on top of them, still in the package and the Empire package just sitting there. That's funny. And then I think we did. We finally regifted it. It's like, oh, kids will these, give them, give them the Dengar. So it just kind of left the house. Like we had no interest in that right. yet. Packaging came later when I was collecting. Like once I collected Ninja Turtle figures, I kept all of the backing boards. Like I started getting into that there. But you have, and I guess I'm trying to figure out, you had a collecting mentality because it became, you had more than you could play with. I had more that I could play with and I was still interested in it. I was part of the fan club and I was still reading the books. And, you know, I pretty quickly transitioned from just, playing to making this stuff we you know what do you mean by that you know like um joe and i are our, our old uh, uh friend from emerson we would build all these different we built an r2d2 by 1987 we'd gone to our first convention it was a star wars 10th anniversary convention and our minds were kind of blown by the fact that there were some people building a life-size r2d2 building a of <laughs> A, you know, a screen accurate sail barge model. That was happening in the 80s. Then. So that, that was, was 87 right there. And they had already been working on it. And then we just saw a, a whole other avenue <clears throat> to enjoy this uh, and still be productive and creative. And we started building all this stuff, cardboard cutouts of characters, a land speeder, a snow speeder, <laughs> you know, Jawa built around a mannequin, a Darth Vader built around a mannequin. And then we started studying photos and studying footage to be as accurate as possible. And, you know, I don't think we realize how many other people without being connected because there was no internet yet were also doing it. But you, you did see it in 87 then. Like how old were these people who were building this? Stuff? They were older. They were, so I was, we were 12. I remember my, my mother and my uncle took us to that convention in Boston. We were 12, but the guys who had built that R2-D2, uh, John and Jim Youngsma, they were, it was, this thing was so amazing. We just never thought that anybody could ever do anything like this. This <laughs> R2 was like it had rolled off the screen. Um, 
so they were older. They were in their early 20s. And we started corresponding with them by mail, like pen pals, about how we could do this ourselves. Now, we were maybe 13, 14 when we started. So they were probably your age when they saw Star Wars. Yeah, maybe. They had made a whole – I mean, this is they're kind of legendary in the in the Star Wars superfan world. They what had, are their names? John and Jim. They were twins. Yongsma, J-O-N-G-S-M-A. They made an entire Star Wars movie on Super 8 film. All acted out, all the sets, all the costumes, and this was the late '70s, early '80s. So I always, I always think of them as one of the the first super fans. They were in their teens when they did it, and they really did a whole hour long version of Star Wars with special effects. And this was all on film too. It really, when we saw that, it opened up a whole new world of how you can be a fan as a teenager going into your adult years. This hands on, creative woodworking, costuming kind of way to be a fan. And was this coming out of maybe the toys were exhausted? Like you had to find new stuff? Is well, that it's like, what do you it? do if you're a fan? What do you do just to, as a, a kind of on the sidelines? You just hope they release. Star Wars was kind of dying at that, that late to the 80s. There wasn't anything coming out until I think the source books, the role-playing game is kind of what reignited it all again. But in the couple of years before that, there was there was nothing. I remember being excited because I heard there was a new book coming out about Star Wars, so I pre-ordered it, and it was just all three novels put into one omnibus <laughs> publication. I was so <laughs> upset because I was just dying for something new, and we just kind of got into to building props and, and costumes and trying to make our own scenes on, on – on the video camera that my parents had bought recently. And was there a sense of a community? I guess at the 10th anniversary convention there was, and that sounds like that was a shock maybe, maybe not a shock, but you didn't have a reason to fathom that that was It was a shock. It was really a shock. I mean, we talked about it for a year. Like, oh, can you, we looked at, we took photos of it. Can you believe it? And then when we reached out to them, we, there was in one of the photos, there's like a little place card at the bottom of the sail barge model they made in there address was on it i think and we wrote to them <laughs> and they were nice enough to send photos and some blueprints and some of their original plans and how they built it all and then they showed up we corresponded for a while and they showed up out of the blue a year or two later with a power droid they'd built that you could they could get in and looked again it just i can't tell you how uh, we thought that was so jaw-dropping it just that you could do that so we just kind of mimicked them not as well but we're so into it that that's how it kept it going for for another long time until we got to college maybe and then it tapered off. Now, did Star Wars have a presence? Did you go to comic book conventions for it after, outside of the tenth anniversary? Was no, we would go to after that. We'd go to Star Trek conventions, which always had all the dealers would still have tons of Star Wars, and maybe there'd be a little some kind of Star Wars presentation. But and were you buying old toys at that point? Did that seem like a thing yet? Like I can buy these old toys I already had in the box or toys I never had for higher prices? When did that start? Well, no, that opened up, again, there was no internet. So I saw a lot of products, a lot of merchandise that I didn't know existed there, all kinds of things that I didn't, posters or, or, or magazines. And that Were there I, ever any toys that you didn't know existed that you found out later? No, I mean, later we found out about all the uh, the things that didn't quite make it in production, but I, I, because, I somehow always missed that there was a Star Destroyer place that I never knew that no, existed. No, I, I had that. I mean, if you, you had, had that. If you got the, if you poured over the catalogs that they would send I out. I thought like, I did, but I don't remember that toy. It well, it doesn't look mind. anything like a Star Destroyer, so maybe that's what threw you for a while. No, but like I, I in the 90s, I remember seeing a picture of it and it just, it struck me as 
something I'd never seen, didn't know existed. Because I did always wonder, well, where is the Star Destroyer toy? So I, it's odd that I missed that. But you're talking about other merchandise, like posters. And- yeah, promotional stuff, rare posters, rare magazines, um, some models. I didn't wasn't aware of all the models that had come out. Sure. But for this um, Kenner toy line, when because I, I feel like you have a pretty big collection. You got the, the box of multiple figures. When did you – what was the first – toy that you paid more than you would have paid for the toy originally to Ooh, get? That's a good question. That is a good question. Well, once I went to the convention and I could see that this stuff was, was going up in value. And then I, we started, um, started, I always say we, cause Joe and I did this kind of together. I think if you have somebody who mm-hmm. enables you and is interested and you can bounce ideas off of and, Get and for excited. those who are listening, Joe, uh, Joe Francasio, he's a friend of ours. You grew up with him. Yeah. Uh, he is the one, I don't know if I said in the beginning, um, but you and he are probably the biggest Star Wars fans I know in terms of knowledge. And coming to college, I was blown away at how invested you were because you do have movies of you guys building a power droid suit, a Darth right, Vader suit. Yeah. And Joe, Joe recently built a working gigantic amazing r2d2 that i'll link some stuff to in the show notes here that he spent what six or seven years building i think about 10 years 10 years building building. and it's amazing it's it's what you're talking about with these two fans that you are he's doing that so yeah he's uh, both of you are invested in this stuff in a way that i never experienced having somebody alongside of you a partner in crime and all this i think helps you think that oh this is okay you know, I had other friends who had outgrown it that I stayed friends with. But if you have somebody who's kind of egging you on and is also interested and you can wow each other with your ideas or the, the latest thing you bought. Did you guys share collections then? Or, or sh- like, did you ever feel like, well, you get that, I'll get this, and we sh- co-share? No, never like that. I, I can remember one time Joe got a, a, a whole box of third series Empire Strikes Back cards. So he put together a, a whole set just for me. I, I still remember that really well, but no, we had our own collections and we'd admire each other's collections, but. Was there but, stuff he had that you wanted that you didn't have? Yeah, I think we both probably had stuff that the other one didn't. And that was, you know, that was cool to go over and see, look at some book he had that I didn't have. And I, it was always, I'd always go to his shelf. Yeah, we'd always go to each other's shelf and kind of pour over what we didn't have and kind of soak any it competition up. in something like that? Like if you go to a convention, are you both out to look for the same thing? And if there's only one, like, it's private. Is it collecting is still private, even if you have a buddy, I assume. Yeah, I don't remember too much any kind of competitive spirit. Just maybe just in a while wanting to kind of wow the other person, but never really competitive. So what was, yeah, what can you remember what maybe the first Kenner toy either that you had had or knew existed that you spent more than probably so should have I at the time? I started getting catalogs and I ordered... I. St- I, I remember thinking, wow, I didn't get the rest of the power of the Force series. And already by the late 80s, early 90s, I noticed they were already, I know this doesn't sound like much, but they were already 30 to $60 a figure. Which now How were you finding that out if there wasn't the internet, there wasn't eBay? Because we would get catalogs, Intergalactic Trading Company, Nobody okay. Studio. Uh, they would be selling, like wholesale reselling. They would just things. have typed up lists of, of figures available that they would actually, they started going over to Europe and Canada where it was still on um, toy store shelves and just buying it in mass. And bringing it over here and marking it up where the collector's market was already starting. So that's when you were getting a sense that there was a monetary yes. value to it. And I started going out to sell uh, secondhand stores and getting people's discarded collections for pennies on the dollar, but buying a bag of 30 figures and four 
play sets that were junky, but I bought them anyway, or seven Burger King glasses, mm -hmm. all that. So I started, I, I was aware pretty quickly that this, there was um, a, a market growing and I started amassing that as much as I could afford and still asking for stuff like that for Christmas. Does that change your relationship with it? Like now there's a financial value. You can look at your collection and say, well, that's worth this. Oh, if that was in better condition, it'd be worth this. And let's not touch those. Like you can start to see the, the price tags as you look at your own stuff, right? No, I, a lot of people are always asking about it. Like, do you have any idea what this stuff's worth? The, the, the value only comes into a factor in the sense that, oh, now I can't get that unless I happen upon it. So I ha somebody is selling it who doesn't really realize what it is. Other than that, I never really think of the value of it all. I'm aware, I'm, you know, I'm aware that it's worth a lot, but I've has there been anything that you've not gotten because of the price tag on it? Like, are there things you'd see that you're like, that's too much, and you would oh, you'd yeah, back I off mean, of? all the time. I, there, I just, I, there are still two figures I don't have loose that I have in the card, oddly enough, because I started buying figures on the card and stopped buying them loose. And the A-Wing pilot and R2-D2 with a pop-up lightsaber, I still do not have them to put on my shelf. Is the A-Wing pilot part of the droids line or did no, that come out? he was, but he was also part of the Power of the Force line. He was, okay. And he's just, you know, 100, 120 bucks to buy loose. And I just, I, I'm not that silly about it. I, <laughs> it. It means more if you can get it in a, in a trade or if you just, recently I stumbled upon an Ewok I never had. I think it was Ramba loose for $20 in a collectible store. I don't know how they let that slip through the crack, but I pick that up. So it does still happen that you can get a deal on things. But as far as eBay and collectible stores, they all know it. Everybody knows what it's worth. It's really hard to find stuff like that. And I'm not silly about buying it for a ton of money. I am really curious what's, what was the first collector's purchase then? Because again, right, you're, you're buying collector. stuff used off the, sh not used, but you're discounted off the shelf is right. one thing. But the time where like, because I remember in college, there was a store in Harvard Square. Man it's no longer Atlantis. there. Man from Atlantis. Exactly. Sure. And they had a Boba Fett on the card in there for $400, I believe. Right. And that was astronomical to me. I couldn't grasp that. But to even backtrack, I remember in 1984, when I was getting into comic books, getting into the Transformers comic book, and I started with issue two. It was a bi-monthly series that eventually went monthly. And I just, I love Transformers right off the bat. That was the thing that pushed Star Wars aside for me right. when I started to. Yeah, Same So I got, I got issue two, I got issue three. And, you know, I, I didn't necessarily understand the idea of continuity. I didn't care that there was a first issue missing. So I went a couple issues in because I was getting each issue. And my brother, who was also very much in the comic books at that time, would go to this place called the Comic Den. It was a comic book store in two towns over from us. And I would go with him and I would usually buy like a, you know, like my Star Wars comics or a Voltron comic. And they had back issues. And so knowing that Transformers number one was a thing, it had a price tag of 75 cents on it. I went into their back issue bin and I thumbed through and I found it. I found Transformers number one. I can remember what one. it looks like with Optimus Prime standing up, like yeah. crushing a ship, right? Yeah, it's and a beautiful Bill Sienkiewicz cover. It's all painted. He's crushing Starscream in his hand. Gears Spike and his there. father's face is, is there, right? Yeah, a spark plug. And I right. think it's uh, it's not Spike. It's uh, not Buster. Spike. Buster Whitley. Oh, okay. That's what he was. In the, right. It's a beautiful cover. And it yeah. was in a box. It was backboard. It was bagged. And I pulled it up and it had a price tag on the bag for $4. Right. Which is... Not a lot. Comics are four dollars now, but back then that's four times, five times the cover price. And you know, I would go into the comic book store with maybe six dollars, five dollars, whatever, to buy my books. And I pulled it up and I was like, four dollars. That just seemed like a lot. But I got it because I was like, well, it's number one. 
and I'm going to take it home. And now I have all the issues and I bought it and I brought it home and I read it and I treated it like any other comic book, I guess, because I was bagging my comics by that point. But I had it. But the point was like, I, I remember, and I was nine or eight, I was nine, I was probably nine years old. And I remember thinking, I guess I'm collecting this because I had to fork over some money. I was aware enough of price tags on comic books to know that, well, it says 75 cents, but this is $4. And that, that made me think, well, Transformers are my, com- Transformer comics are my thing. I've got to stick with these. And actually, I do have to keep them in good condition. I do have to be careful. So I bagged everything. Yeah, I read them and all. And I don't know how well I treated them, but I got the bags for them. I got backboards for the first six. And it was this thing. And I think that's an important mentality because that's when I was began collecting comics. I had a Star Wars comic subscription prior to that. So I read Star Wars comics, but it wasn't this thing where it's like, take care of them. It was fun. Comic books were fun, disposable things. And then buying Transformers number one for $4, Mm. which is two weeks allowance. See, I have that. I can't remember when I got, I think I bought it right when it came out. I don't know how I could be, have been that aware of it. There was a pretty awesome commercial on TV. It was an animated commercial for that comic book, which it was astounding. It has some different character designs. And that, that's what won me over to the toys. Speaking of that, one thing I've been really, that attracts me about Star Wars collecting now is I, I love the look of things before the look is established. Like you talk about that first Transformers comic book. It's so different now in the world of of Transformers or even what it would be three months later. Like there's some, the original Star Wars art or even graphically posters, magazines, the look hadn't been established. The fonts hadn't been established. The borders hadn't been established. So, or, you know, nobody knew what were going to be the iconic photos yet. So sometimes you saw weird photos. I love that kind of stuff now. I'm always attracted to that. Yeah. Like, recently, I've really been getting into like the early comic books. Um, this past Christmas, actually, we did an episode on the show. We did the Christmas special. That was a holiday special. We rewatched that. And the cartoon in that yeah. blew me away. It's, it's, it's the only good part of it. <laughs> well, I mean, I actually liked it more that special than I thought. But the thing with the cartoon is what you're saying. It's like that was the second right. Star Wars piece of storytelling ever. It, right. And it looks, it looks very Mobius. It looks very heavy metal magazine. It doesn't look Star Wars. No. There's a magical amulet, the characters, you know, the outfits they're wearing, whatever, but it's like it, it was able to do. And it's a fun fucking short. It's bananas, right. but it's yeah. fun. Boba Fett's riding a water beast. Right? Yeah. It's great. And it's like, it didn't, like you're saying, it, it was feeling out the borders. There wasn't much constraining it yet. So it could do that. And this past Christmas, watching that special, I was like, God, imagine if they didn't do Empire Strikes Back and they just, this was the next step. Like, <laughs> and they could just go nuts with the characters, not worry about having to have everyone, not having the storyline. It wouldn't be as impactful, and it wouldn't, wouldn't have changed my life the way it did, but it would still be there. I could still seek it out. There's some interesting possibilities when it's older stuff like that, like the old novels, the looks of those is right. interesting yes, to me. Exactly. The artwork. Uh, I, lo- I love like there's magazines pre-movie release, like late 76, early 77 that talk about it and just kind of the photos they use and the way they describe things. It's it. There is no Star Wars yet. So it's fun to kind of read that and uh, the, the naivete of some of that material. How does that come into collecting? It sounded like you were just, I, I'm always, I'm seeking out those kind of magazines, oh, okay. those posters. Um, 
uh, promotional materials, stuff like that. Now, is that um, to just get another vantage point on this thing that you've known for a little, 40 of just, your 42 years? Yeah, I guess years? so. It's just so different. You know what I always think of? Think of the, uh, they were posters and the original Burger, or was it Burger Chef? glasses yeah i'm looking at one of them right now that artwork to me is so cool it's so different from what they would do um coming up i I, to me it is i remember that poster that's the one with the orange a lot of orange in it yeah it's it's a pose that 3po and r2 he's pointing right and there's the jawa there and the sand person a friend uh, i knew a kid i remember well he had that poster up before i had seen the movie and everything about that poster was fascinating to me yeah it's great it's you're right like, it doesn't look like what is all of this stuff all i know is reality and then all of a sudden there's this imagery of all this bizarro stuff it's that, cool. and uh, it's got like weird font it's got like future text and stuff like this. right that, I'll, I'll link to this too in the show. and it's awesome and there's there's four of these five there's of four these? of those yeah okay. and um by the time they do that for Empire, there was still some cool artwork, but it was already kind of decided on, you know, what yeah. there'd be a star field in the background and the logo would look like this. So that's collecting now. Yeah. So, all right. My first real collectible, I would say I bought a lot of those Power of the Force figures on the card from magazine, uh, from catalogs at the time, probably for around 20 to $30. And I kept them on the card when I got them because of how much I spent on them. But I knew I had to get them soon because I was literally month to month looking at them going up in value. So they were going up in the late 80s. Yeah, and then they flooded the the collectible market with tri-logo figures when I said all these collectible places would buy collections from Europe and Canada. And then you could buy all of those fairly cheap for about a year because they were kind of second class because they weren't the American collectibles, but now I think they're worth as much or not more, depending on who the character is. Yeah, I remember is. those. I also remember seeing bins of like a generic back card, and I would have two figures yeah, packaged. That in. was a KB exclusive, I think so. And it wasn't I, even have all the wouldn't always have the weapons or everything, but right. it's just random packaging. Yeah, yeah. It was like they must have had a lot of figures, and rather than keep, I don't know, a way to just dispose of them quickly, and there would be bins of that. Yeah. Was but, there anything you? bought early on where you're like i just paid too much for something like do you remember the Uh, first time you had some sticker shock well with star wars no no i was i always felt like part of the fun of getting it was getting it fairly was to get it on the cheap it was like the thrill of the hunt and the hunt you could always just buy it outright for some incredible amount of money but the hunt is to get a good value too so I don't, I can't remember anything I spent too much money on. I've had that with other things. I know that feeling, but not, um, not, but not that. not Star Wars. No. Are there other things you collect the way you collect Star Wars? Other things from childhood? I, I mean, you're not into comics that I know, so you don't really collect no, comics. No, I have plenty of comic books, Transformers, G.I. Joe, and Star Wars from that time period because I just, Another thing is I, I never purged myself of my collections like a lot of kids did. Sure. So I, I still have um, a, a lot of stuff. I did sell off a lot of G.I. Joe and Transformers. And I think I used that to buy more Star Wars. But um, oh, Okay. See, I've but, sold all of my Star Wars stuff is gone, with the exception of this Diecast Slave 1. Yeah, so did that ha- – was there a mass – like? Um, sell off for you or did it just kind of trickle out and get lost or no sold? it was and it's weird because i can't i know when it happened um in the mid 90s um in at college mid 90s college mid 90s 
I was buying the new ones when that's when like the new line was coming yeah, out with the sculpts. Right. Everybody buying... had the micro machines in their dorm. Yeah, <laughs> everybody had those. The new figures, like I was devouring that stuff, and I was getting stuff that I didn't have as a kid. Like I got an X-wing fighter, and I got this and that. So my older collection. Like I carried that Slave One everywhere. Like something I realized is there are certain toys that follow me everywhere, and that Slave One is one of it. I've been carrying Shark it since gone. 1980. But all the other stuff was in storage at home. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even out. It was in boxes. I think I had two different Star Wars boxes. And so in the mid 90s, when I was buying the new stuff and setting those up everywhere, I was nuts for the new figures, and then just every single one I could get, I would, and they were you know falling over each other. There were so many of them. But the things I was collecting was like comic books. And there were actually a lot of toys. I think about it. I was still buying toys. But comic books was what I was collecting. And X-Files is what I was into. So I think there was a line of about... I somehow missed out on the X-Files comics. So there was maybe 20 issues of the X-Files comics that I didn't have. The first 20. And a friend of mine did. And I think I traded a shit ton of Star Wars stuff to him. Because at that time, the comics shot up in value. They immediately dropped, but they were worth a lot of money. So we did a trade. I think a lot of my Star Wars toys were traded to him for comics. X-File comics, X-Men comics. Because they were just in a box. Because I was replacing them with the new figures. And because he was a big fan, I thought, I can still see them. You know, there's right. someone's, someone, even at that point, I'm like, he's going to put them out. They're in a, already I felt like they're in a box. He's putting them out, have them my concept of childhood, whatever. I regret that choice. I regret it massively, but it happened so that all I was left with was this little slave one. I actually have the toy, the action figure size slave one. I have a Millennium Falcon. And I think I have maybe like a Lobot. I do remember you, I was always fascinated. You would kind of like the tide, you would buy stuff and then you would trade it or sell it like your CD collection mm-hmm. over and over again. I watched you do this over the years. I was, uh, especially in school. And I, I was always like, I could never part with any of my stuff. Well, it's short sighted. I mean, at the, it's, it's weird because then again, it's a, it, people can exist how they want. That's an epidemic of just something new, something new is always like the next thing, the next thing. That's not stopping for nostalgia. That's trying to find something. Yeah. Because I regret like CDs. There's tons of CDs I regret selling. It's easier now because you can get them digitally. But there are massive parts of my collection that I just lost. Same with books, same with toys, because I was just so caught up in this collecting. I don't think I had – nostalgia was part of it. But I hadn't slowed down enough to realize it. Like Transformers were the one thing that I didn't get rid of for the longest time. I hoarded those, but that's because I brought them everywhere. It's only in the last couple of years I've sold off most of my Transformers because I needed the money and Mm -hmm. because they were just sitting in a box. I still have my Optimus Prime, but I have them because he's kind of busted and I wouldn't get any money for him, but I'm happy to have them. I don't know. There's a fluctuation with them. Like I still have all of my comics I don't right. look at them, but I have all of them. I hmm. don't know what to do with that. But there are toys that I miss. And there are toys that I've sold as recently as last year, but older than that. And it is. It's a different thought process. Like when you say you've held on to all your stuff from childhood, I always feel like I have because my parents tell me I have. Right. It's all at the house. But there's a lot of stuff I've purged or, or like you said, traded and that used to be fun. Like I did that even as a kid. That's how I got Starscream. That's how I got the Dinobot slag. I traded probably Star Wars or maybe G.I. Joe. I traded something because you would just do that swap, we called it, so it didn't feel commercial. Right. But, you know, you would just do that. So I, I guess I've always had that. And it's only in the past 
10 years, 15, yeah, which is actually a long time. But it was only getting into my mid-30s when I kind of was cutting back on the amount of collectibles I got. Like, I don't buy many toys anymore. And it was only then that I realized what I have now for toys aren't from my childhood. They're more from the 90s. Like, I have all my 90s toys in their boxes or out of boxes, but just in storage. But I have less and less of my childhood left. I'm surrounded by my, <laughs> I don't know if that's healthy, but I'm surround, I'm entombed in everything from my childhood. <laughs> and I guess that might be a good way to close this off. Like, do you know where everything is? I have know? a pretty good sense. I have about 40% of it on display. You do. Um, and I kind of rotate it out now that I have a house and a space and a house to display it. Um, is there yeah. an end game to it? Like, is there something? No, there's not. Like I said, there's never, I never think about the financial aspect. I, I do, I have stopped collecting basically. Something would, I'd have to really stumble on something peculiar, peculiar from the old days to make me want to buy it and for the right price. But yeah. I've almost completely stopped. There's just no space. I, I love it, but uh, I, I just don't have the room for it. And, um, Except for a few, like I saw, I saw that Ewok that I didn't have loose. I had to pick him up. <laughs> I will complete that. Uh, I, I will complete the this the figure collection. I have two more to get. Isn't that um, amazing that this many years on, you're still like it's just that's yeah, it's a sense of completion. Wouldn't be almost defeative when you finally do finish it. No, I mean they have ways to trick you into not feeling completed. There's so many variations. But and, like you right now, you're hunting for two. Figures. Yeah, passively hunting. Like, but I don't... isn't part of the excitement you even said is the hunt? So when you find them, yeah, I was in a comic book shop and to see that figure, I was blown away to have seen that figure for twenty bucks. That um, Rumba? So, uh, it was it was it Rumba? Was it Warwick? It was one of the eighty-five Ewoks uh, off the card. So, I mean, you could I could end it right now. I could go on eBay and buy the two figures I need probably for. $220 together and just be done with it. But I just, I've kept it open-ended until I find them for uh, for a good deal. Well, that's, that's great. That's very different than how I <laughs> acted with toys. No, because- Well, well I don't know what I'll do with all of it. I, my, I mean, my kids are, are Star Wars, you know, casual Star Wars fans, but I don't know that I want to, you know, burden them with it all at some point when I'm on my deathbed. So I don't know what will happen with it. I, I, that's I'm part of why I got rid of my that. stuff. I got rid of my stuff partially because I didn't, I didn't want to keep carting it around, not because of your kids, but because I just <laughs> had these boxes. Like I still have tons of shit at my parents. And I need to go through that, but I'm like, I got to sell it off or, or give it away one or the other. Cause it's just, it's for me, it's too much to cart around. And because in my own mind, it's never going to be the right combination like i'm mad at the stuff i don't have but then yeah. we have the like i have the optimus prime the hero of my childhood i still have that toy but i'm mad that i sold my hot rod i sold my cup i sold my mm, metroplex yeah. i'm sad that i don't have my star wars toys but it's like i've got other stuff <laughs> yeah i know I, I really enjoy it when i crack open a box of stuff and go pour through it i I, there is a certain magic to it that I do. I, I like that they're around for if I have that desire, I can I can do that. I don't. Um, and has it changed at all with stuff like eBay? Like, is I know you said you could easily collect that, but have, do you feel like even the idea of collecting is different? Now? Yeah, it's it. I don't talk about it too much. It's kind of a downer. Everybody thinks they know everything about it because everything's just a click away on the internet. Okay, but. Uh, 
No, I don't mean like not. I don't. I don't. I, I like us talking about it, but uh, <laughs> I'm like, this is a show that goes up on the internet. But that's okay. <laughs> but there's people like, oh, do you have those? You know, uh, people talking about it casually. Um, they don't. I don't think they really understand what it's like to really collect it and to have it and ca- ca- card it with you through the years. Yeah. So I, I, don't, I, I guess at 42, I don't know what that's like anymore. I used to. Well, but you've been over and, and, and seen my stuff. Do you, do you, is it, what do you think of somebody who has all of that stuff? I'm enamored because that's stuff I love that I don't right. have. <laughs> and I would love to tear through. I mean, I remember most recently, it's, it's probably eight years ago now, yeah. being in your basement and actually just seeing the boxes of stuff. Not even all the, did someone just fall down? Uh, somebody did upstairs. But okay, but they'll be down the stairs shortly. <laughs> um, just seeing the boxes of stuff, and that was a, a, a jolt, a jazz. Because again, I do love seeing this stuff. Yeah. We were talking, I think, before we were recording about He-Man. Like, I love looking at the old art. That's fascinating to me. So seeing the, tw- yeah, seeing your collection gives me a jazz for it. And I know you, and I know your connection with it. So that's fun to talk about. Yeah, I don't want to... There's plenty of people whose houses I don't want to walk into and see <laughs> the... And again, I did this. This is weird. I don't want to see a curated collection right. where it's like, here's my glass case of all oh, the I know hard to find sure. Stormtrooper right. dolls. And here's yeah. my curated collection of, you know, Mangalore crap. You know, just stuff that doesn't actually... That it doesn't feel like it's anything but a bragging right. Right. Which I did. I did this. <laughs> I like talking about it with somebody who knows it and appreciates it and not for the financial or rear reason, but just to talk about it because isn't this cool, but I don't, I'm not that kind of glass case collector. I do have a lot of stuff out on shelves now and uh, on display, but not yeah, like that. It's probably a thin line of distinction in the end, really. Right. Because <laughs> there are people who probably would look at your collection and think, oh, okay, I played with that as a kid. What do you like, you know, people... I always forget that as a kid, there were people who were just as attached to the Transformers as I was. Right. They just grew into other things and it drifted. They discovered baseball or football. Well, I don't want to do the easy sports <laughs> thing. They discovered sexual intercourse. I don't know. They discovered <laughs> they discovered whatever it was they discovered, but it's not I think I used to think it was I would villainize it like you just don't get it. It's like, no, people I don't I don't throw myself into certain things from childhood that I loved as a child. I'm not a huge Garfield fan, Family Circus fan, Alf fan, but I was as a kid. <laughs> right. So the other people grow out of it. And I think there is a weird, it's a person to person basis. It can't just be judged. Uh, yeah. Like, I don't feel like it stunted me at all. I mean, I have plenty of other interests and I, mean, uh, I don't either. family and a job and I, you <laughs> I, I know, get it. All right. You're doing pretty <laughs> all, good for yourself. All that jazz. No, and I, and I don't think it's not you, but I mean, I can see where it can go either way. Yeah, sure. The difference, I think, is I what you were saying, like talking about it with you, is is it's fun. It's what we're doing right now. Yeah, so, I think we've done it for three hours now. I, I could keep going. <laughs> I think we're gonna wrap it up, which is why <laughs> I was trying to find a summation. But I don't know. It's odd to me that toys. I don't have sports memorabilia. I have some movie memorabilia, like posters, but. For the longest time, the art I put up was toys. Yeah. And the moment I would put the toy up, it became a statue. It became a diorama. It became something that you weren't supposed to touch and play with. And I think as I've whittled away my collection, what's on my desk right now are toys that I fidget with, I fiddle with. I have this Sharktacon. I have a Dazzler figure. I have Alpha Trion. I have some Lego figurines, some of which are more recent than others, but I, they're there to be played with. 
I'm kind of glad I outgrew, only for me, because I'm envious of what you have. And envy is not a good thing, but I'm glad for my own, because of what I was doing, which is different than what you were doing. I, it was a badge. It was an identity. It was a, I'm the guy who has all of this. I'm in the X-Files. So I have all of this. You know, like, I'm glad I shed that yeah. as I do a weekly show about that. But <laughs> it would have done me in because I would have lost my interest in these things because they would have just been in boxes. Now that they're physically gone, I miss them. But that's what happens with parts of childhood. There are parts of your childhood that are gone that you're missing. It's not sure. the toys, it's something else. And I think for me to develop and figure something out, I've I've actively had to let some of these toys go. And it's strange to me. I'm not comfortable with that yet, but I get how it's helping. And yet I still have them, on well, some of them on the desk. I mean, it, it's funny. I should mention this. Now I, I use a lot of the all the Kenner figures and play sets, and I've really gotten into action figure photography, and I've done a ton of that. And I mean, really? it's really not out there in any way, shape, or form, but I've kind of been perfecting that over the last two years or working on it. And I love it. It's just a whole new way of repurposing these. It combines photography, which I love, and, and these figures and kind of almost using them away. It's just like... Uh, uh, oh, uh, some photography Kenner might have done that never got released, that kind of sense of that. Um, You've incorporated it into something else, and maybe that's why it keeps going. Maybe, like, but it's funny. I've just found a way to, to actually enjoy it again in a new adult hmm. way. I get I, adult in quotes, but <laughs> I, I've really been, uh, I love it. Yeah. That's awesome, man. No, and um, I'd love to put some of those photos in the show notes if you want. If not, I, I don't have say, to. But... They're all on uh, Flickr, that, and a bunch of photos oh. from, from me from Substitute Culture, apparently. <laughs> Which is the movie that none of you saw that Chris and I worked on. But, uh, well, thank you, man. I think I, I, I think you're right. We could keep talking, but I don't. at some point people will stop listening. So we'll call this sure. uh, the end of the show. Very Real good. Real quick, I don't know if it's the kind of thing. Do you want to give out like the Flickr address? Is there any? I wouldn't know how to do it. I mean, how, okay. just if you go to Flickr and you look up my first and last name, Chris Nicini, I'm sure they would all pop up. All right, I'll, I'll put it somewhere in the show notes. Yeah, if I can think, I'll I'll forward you uh, an email or something if I can think of a more specific way to do it. Well, that'd be awesome, man. I'm going to do the closing now, which is going to sound mechanical, but it'll be I very can't wait. quick. Here it um, comes. Go for it. Um. So yes, that was today's episode. And if you liked today's episode and you think you might want to hear another episode, uh, check out 20popcast.com. That's the main website for this show. The most recent episode is always up there streaming, as well as links to all of our past shows. Um, you can also subscribe to us through that site. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Google Play, on a couple other Android podcatchers. There are links for each of those. And if you do subscribe to us, if you do listen to us every week and you do like us, you don't like us, you have something to say about us, um, if you could leave a little review or a couple of stars or no stars, some sort of text review, all of these podcasters have ways of leaving little reviews. I know it's a little extra effort, but it helps us, helps our ego, and it helps us get more listeners. Um, while you're on the website, you can also follow me on Twitter at Subcultist, also on Instagram at Subcultist. Uh, Bob, who will be back to the show next time, uh, you can follow him at RH Canning, which also has links to both his comic strip and his music blog. Those are the things we normally mention, so we did that, so then we can get back to not talking about toys because the episode is actually over. Closing these things out goes very, very poorly, which is what's happening. <laughs> but sounded great. I don't think people listen to, to that part, so it's fine. They but have, I think some of that's 
skip 15 second button minutes probably 15 minutes but yeah they, they, they there was something in this episode was good so i hope uh they heard it when you did the indiana jones uh versus han solo poll how many people voted a very small number <laughs> counting myself twice nine people voted uh we may have said that on the episode so that's not a secret okay yeah no we, well here's the thing like i in terms of downloads it's a small number when i put the player up on facebook we get probably have a hundred people listening oh that's pretty good no it's not that's a small number well it's just good compared to what i thought it was <laughs> Well, you thought it was the people who voted and me who voted <laughs> twice, so tw- minus two from that number. Maybe. Is, are you less inclined to talk knowing the numbers are low? <laughs> no, that, no, oh, it okay. helps. It'll help. Okay, yeah. So my dad doesn't listen to this, but it might be on <laughs> if I turn it on for him. You know whose father's going to love this is mine. He's still one of your biggest fans. Really? One of your no, earliest fans. Yes. Yeah, he's, you could just say he's my fan. He could say <laughs> that, and that would be fine. 